You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host for today. With me, as usual, is Renee Coronado. Hey, Tim. How are you? I am very good. We have a special episode today, and it's something that we've wanted to do for a really long time. And uh, I'm really glad that we're finally able to do it. We've got the uh, location recordist, the dialogue editor, and the re-recording mixer, who is also the uh, sound supervisor on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, so I'll introduce you to everyone right now. First up, we have Sarah Stern, who's an Emmy and Golden Reel Award-winning dialogue editor. Her previous credits include the HBO series The Night Of, Noah Baumbach's The Meyerowitz Stories, and the recently released Captive State. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. Next up, we have Ron Bokar. He has been a re-recording mixer, sound supervisor, and co-owner of C5 Sound, Inc. in New York City for 30 years. His work has been nominated for an Oscar, Golden Reels. He's won Emmys, won multiple CAS awards. Some of his titles would be The Pelican Brief, Philadelphia, Moneyball, You've Got Mail, Angels in America. We could go on forever. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Finally joining us is Matthew Price, who has been a busy location recordist since the late 80s with nominations for literally so many Emmys and CAS Awards, I just didn't have time to count how many of them there were. He's worked recording dozens of films and hundreds of episodes of prestige series like The Sopranos, The Following, and Daredevil. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, how are you? So Matthew is the current belt holder, along with Ron, for the CAS Award for Best Mixing for a One-Hour TV Show. Uh, congratulations on that win, both of you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thanks. And that's what we're here to talk about, is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a project that, as we mentioned, Sarah is the dialogue editor for. Sarah, have you been on since the first episode? Yes, I have. Matthew, you're actually just starting on season three of it right now, right? Day four starts tomorrow. Oh, 6 a.m. bright and early. Way out in Long Island, too. Oh, so you got to drive, too. Yeah. And you're you're all based out of New York? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about the uh, process. How do you go from uh, getting it from the set to Sarah? Oh, good question. Um, well, I record on a Diva 16. I have multiple tracks up to 16, and I would mirror onto CF cards like everyone else. And I pass it off to our digital imaging technician, our DIT, who then copies it onto the shuttle drives with the image and that gets over to post-production and then it winds its way to Sarah. I'm not sure exactly of the steps of how many people between us and Sarah, but um, that's, how it, that's how it starts. Well, it ends up at picture and then we get a clone pretty much of their audio as well. So um, the whole idea is to try to make it as seamless as possible so we Whenever we get the final edit, <laughs> final's the wrong word, whenever we get a cut of it, um, you know, it usually syncs up with the material that the picture department's had working as well, and then we get further, you know, rendered material or additional material they may have done in the cutting room, and it works its way to Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she works her magic. Right. So Matt and Sarah, how much communication do you two have during the process? Is it just a straight handoff? You just I have like... never seen or met Sarah before this moment, <laughs> but I have to say I'm really excited <laughs> that I have because you're one person I've been wanting to talk to probably my whole career. <laughs> well, hi. 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 Very nice to meet you. Thank you. You too. A lot of the impetus for this whole format was we did a dialogue editor roundtable where we had 
multiple dialogue editors, uh, you know, in a format just like this. And it was so clear that nobody gets to, to speak to the production audio folks once they get to, to the dialogue edit. And there's so much, I don't know, just kind of a black hole. There's a gap in, in, in communication between what's happening on set and what happens in the edit. So, uh, so yeah, now's the chance to, uh, to ask production sound what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the difference here is series work. You know, we're on it at the same time they're still shooting. Right. That doesn't happen that way with features. You know, most of the time with features, they're done, gone, and 10 weeks later, we finally get something to maybe look at. So, you know, this is a ripe time to be able to work with Matthew. But, you know, and, and Matthew and I have communicated you know, during the show, setting it up, figuring out if we want to put a live mic on Midge when she's on the stage and things mm-hmm. like that. But, um, well, I mean, Sarah could probably speak to this, but when, when you know, production issues land in her lap, it's usually something we have to deal with directly with the picture department because it usually has something more to do with the edit than it does with whatever, you know, Matt recorded. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's super common for the picture department to to cut in alternate takes and do that type of stuff before it even gets to you. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, they do make most of the decisions, and then I try to smooth it out and make it... <laughs> Sarah's you know. a cleanup woman. Yeah. Yeah, it's, nothing makes me happier than when um, I'm on a show that our post people are already in place. I've been in so many shows, even TV, that... We're done or almost done before they even come on. I, and I love to get the feedback. I like to know what's working, what isn't working. Um, how could I do things differently? What would make their lives easier? Because I always feel like the production sound people, we're really there for post-production more than anyone else is on set. I mean, everyone wants to make pretty pictures and everyone needs to look right and everything else. But most people are focused in the moment. And I'm always thinking about these guys. Hopefully. Well, you know, the, the old adage that, that I learned ages ago was that, you know, post-production begins the first day of production. It doesn't start way down the road. It begins when you point that mic that very first time. That's right. So, you know, we're living with your tracks from the get-go. That's what I try to tell them on set when they don't want to take an extra take. And I'm like, <laughs> you're really going to wish we had later on. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Amy Sherman Palladino has brilliant ears, I have to say. So the level that we work at on Mrs. Maisel is above and beyond almost any other show I've been on, certainly since Sopranos. Mm. You know, it's just an extraordinary show to work on. The first three days were exhausting already. It's so intense. I mean, day two, we did a 13-page, one-shot scene for 13 hours. So when you say Amy has exceptional ears, like how does that manifest? What is she doing that's unique? Well, she hears everything. She's very musical as well. You know, she knows when something doesn't sound right. For example, most of the recordings, it's paradoxical because while we do playback on set, so it's not really live vocals when there's music, the fact is that we record it in the space that it was shot in. So it's kind of live a tape delay, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But Ron's a better, Ron's going to answer that question better than I can. He sits in the uh, mix with her. So, well, you know, the, the big thing is that the, the scripts are what, 80 pages long? 87 pages for this first episode. <laughs> 87 pages. And it's 50 minutes, 45 minutes of a show. Nothing gets cut out. I mean, this is something to know here. You know, it, it's dialogue from the beginning to the end of those 85 pages jammed in because of the way Amy directs her talent to deliver those lines. So, you know, Matt has to get every syllable and Sarah has to make it so that I can do something with it in a mix. You know the saying, walk a mile in a man's shoes? 
mean, think about that. The perspective that gives you. Well, I took it to heart, put on a pair of my husband's shoes, and my God, were they comfortable. <laughs> I get it now, why men rule the world. No high heels. They can walk faster and their backs don't hurt. I'm divorcing my husband, but I am keeping the fucking shoes. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I'm Mrs. Maisel. I'm on the road the next few days, but unlike your innocence, I'll be back. Good night. Great set. Hey, thanks. So, uh, obviously, a main part of the show is the stand-up comedy performance. In season one, it's almost all in the uh, Gaslight Cafe, is that what it's called? Yeah. Gas- yeah. Gaslight yes. Cafe. Mm-hmm. How do you guys deal with the audience laughter? Because you don't want a silent audience because that would kill the performance, I'm assuming. But a loud laughing audience will harm the edit, I'm also assuming. How, how do you guys tackle all that? I I begged a long time from the very beginning to get sound-only takes done that Matt could hopefully just record the audience for, and they never really have time for any of that stuff on location. So we've got a great loop group now that's been very highly tuned to what we know we're going to need for the show. And every one of those stand-up acts have a solid loop group performance from beginning to end. They do multi-passes for me. Um, Amy is very sharp in knowing, no, 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 the women are only going to laugh here. Very specific. Only two women here, save the rest for later. I mean, you know, we have that as part of our direction to what to kind of record. It varies after she finally hears it, she'll get another idea perhaps. So when we do the recordings for the group for those sections, we do it pretty dense. Um, I drop more than I need to add more to. Um, Or sometimes we need to reshape it. And, you know, we'll call it from other places within. Um, but on location, you're right. The crowd does respond. Right, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, as, as a location, as a production mixer, you know, my goal is to get the dialogue as clean as possible. That is our primary directive. And I've tried it in all kinds of situations for my whole career. You know, scenes like on Sopranos when you have all the guys in a room and it's like, but then you go, you do these masters where everybody's laughing and joking and ab-libbing. And then you go around and you do your single shots. You know, you go around the table and you try to get everything isolated and it just sucks the air right out of the room and the performances go 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 south you know they go to crap so same thing with performance for Maisel uh we when we can do get clean passes um without the audience reaction and it's very weird when we do comedy clubs and there are other comics I'm Rachel Brosnahan who plays Midge obviously she knows the deal but when we bring in these like guest people to play old style stand-up they do get a little thrown by it and it 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 can change the performance a bit. So we hope for the best. We try to get the dialogue as punchy as possible so that if they have to lay in stuff in the background, at least it's not all over the primary dialogue, like really prominent. And hope Sarah and Ron save it all, saves the day. (laughs) It's all about the performance. So Sarah, how are you dealing with the dialogue when it gets to you for those comedy scenes? Do you ever have live audience laughter becoming an issue in the dialogue edit or? So I have several mics to work with. I have the boom that's in the room and I'll get some of the audience from there. So I'll cut that and I'll get the sound of the room. And then Midge has her love, which I'll use to be the prominent dialogue. And then we also have the live mic, right? So I'll actually cut three mics for those scenes. 
Well, we a lot of times we'll throw the boom into the audience because the way they shoot it, uh, there's usually like a, some kind of Klieg light or some kind of really sharp spot on her. It's very hard to get a boom over her and be consistent because of the sharp shadows behind her. And so the boom wouldn't really be in the right place. So uh, we try to make the practical mic, uh, the the prop mic, as it were, practical. Now, season one was a mess because it was an old mic. It was rattly. It was buzzy. She yeah. breathed on it. I mean, every time she touched it, it would be outrageous. And we went back and forth on that. It, it personally offended me. But, but Ron said, you know, they kind of liked some of the schmutzy stuff. So I did try to put it on its own track here and there so at least they'd have it to work with. But then in season two, production upped its game and they took a lot of the old shells and put in modern electronics, specifically brand new sure lavaliers in the shells so season two we use as much practical mics as we can um but with the lav it's tricky ron taught me that you know they got to spatialize the tracks in making it sound like the room and if there's any scratchy uh clothing noise on that that gets into that as well so we we really try to be hyper critical about any kind of lav noise there was a tricky moment in season one i guess when she first meets lenny bruce where he's he's talking to the mic and then he pulls back and talks to the band and you can hear he totally came off mic and talked to the band and then came back on and that just blew me away how perfect that was because hearing that mic perspective i know you know what i'm talking about um i loved that well we we end up having to vary it a lot uh, between the mics the whole time uh we're not just using one mic to have her although always on the on the pa system i use the lavalier a lot for just the pa and I sweeten it and, and back it back up with the live mic that she's holding. Um, there is a quality difference. So I have to try to make it sound like it's from the same mic all the time. And, you know, part of it is helped by just putting it spatially in the room. You know, because I'm adding, it's a lot easier to take it away so that when Lenny does move away from the mic, it might all be from one mic, but you get the impression that he's actually walked off mic. And that's, we do that constantly with Midge. It's a real pain. Absolutely. But <laughs> I like that idea thing. of a practical mic. I mean, to some extent, it's real. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Ron made it sound like he went off mic or if it's just that was the primary source and he actually did go off mic. So it just it sounded natural. And it's, you don't question it as a viewer because it makes sense. That's right. Uh, I just want to dig into something real quick. For those who haven't seen the show that are listening to this, Midge is doing stand-up comedy in the, is it 50s? Yeah, late 50s. Slave 50. So the microphone in the shot that she's using is a period microphone from then. So you're saying for season two, and I'm assuming going forward, you took that mic, pulled it apart and put new electronics in it. That's correct. Well, we didn't personally do it. There's a shop in town, Gotham Audio, that's doing it for us. We wanted to have a lavalier that was relatively omnidirectional, not too cardioid, you know, because we didn't want it to, you know, be too off access too easily. And something with wind protection, breath protection inside that would fit. And it worked for the most part. I would say five out of the six mics that we were working with sounded great. One of them had a really closed back shell, and I wasn't really happy with that sound. But the the way the old vintage shells were constructed, it's actually working pretty well. I mean, Ron and Sarah would be more of the judge of that. They, they get those tracks. So when you got these modern sounding mics that are supposed to be coming out of these old mics, are you futzing them back up in post? A little, but you know, look, the main thing is the words. You know, I'm not trying to be like super authentic and make it sound like it's coming from a cable that's been plugged into some kind of amp or whatever. I mean, you know, our whole goal is to present 
what it would have felt like or what it, what it might sound like if you were in a room like that. But damn it, you got to hear every single word. You, you know, you just can't have anything not be there. So the quality is the most important thing for me. The show doesn't play with nostalgia that way. It's not like it's trying to be, we're now and looking at something from back then. We're then. Right. So the quality and the fidelity of it needs to be as state of the art as it could possibly be. And also modern audiences expect that as well. So you don't want to, you don't want to mess with that. So Sarah, when you're cutting a scene like that, you said you cut multiple mics. Do you make your selects and kind of hand something that's already working out to Ron or what, what's your workflow there? Um, well, they're very specific about which takes they want to use. So I only change something if there's a problem. Um, but then I'll give Ron as many options as possible. <laughs> but usually I'll cut, you know, the boom, the lava and the practical mic, all, all of them, and just lay them out so it's so as clear as possible for him to see what's what. And do you run into any, into any issues with the practical mic? Well, um, <laughs> not really. I kind of like the like the handling sounds and yeah. yeah we love the handling sounds. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> we do, you know, but we don't make them prominent. No. They're like part of yeah. it. They're like built in, and you know, then I have to worry about what to do for the M and E. So you know, oh, they hear that, and that I gotta pull it out and find a way to make it happen now in the M and E, even though she's talking on top of it. And you know, what 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 Sarah does for me, which is pretty wonderful, is she uh, provides me with the lobs, but she gives me the boom always these days. And uh, you know how she's working her magic for that without me having phasing issues has been like a heaven sent. All of it was pretty much all of season two. Sarah, that you were working in one way, shape, or form to give me, you know, perfectly phased <laughs> lobs and booms. Well, it came about during that. I've tried to do yeah. it the whole. Yeah, whatever that Sorry? plugin that you started using at the end there. Um, right. What's the plugin? I'm using Auto Align Post. Auto Align is that what it's called? Auto Align Post. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So it sees the waveforms and it, it lines them up. Well, it takes one and it phase aligns the other to it, and it's one click and it's just rendered out and it's awesome. Yes, and it's dynamic. Mm -hmm. But it's sample accurate. It goes down to sample levels. I can play them both, and I get no cancellation. I get no phasing. It has made my life incredibly easier because a lot of times the boom has a rich quality to it that I'd love to be able to have and use, especially with some, you know, production sounds within it. But, you know, I can't because I got to get all those damn consonants right. And uh -huh. I get that from the love. So now I'm able to actually play them both a lot and work with them both a lot and, um, you know, end up with a track that for me is rich as well as <laughs> as that clarity. Do they use auto align for the ADR um, matching uh, production tracks with ADR tracks to, to line no. them up? Not at all. No, it's no, a little bit different. different than that. Yeah, with vocal line, you're going to bend the performance. You know, it's going to it's going to warp the entire performance. The the plugin that Sarah's talking about doesn't warp it. It just takes it and 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 aligns it and leaves it leaves it exactly as it is. Um, let me ask you, Ron, uh, while, I, while I have you here, uh, does the boom help with audience tracks and also with spatializing the primary tracks when we do the stand-up work? It does, yeah. It definitely does. And I, I take advantage of it. Good. Well, I've got all digital radio mics this season. This is the first for me, so we'll see how that if that changes anything quality-wise. I'm thinking they're sounding pretty good, so I hope everything's going to work out all right. Good. 
We'll have to get back in a couple months and see the answer to that question. There you go. <laughs> the other uh, really big impressive thing about this series, it seems like in every show, there's one huge, highly choreographed shot that's like three minutes long. One? Probably every <laughs> one an episode, if we're lucky. At least. Um, I'd, I'd love to have, while I have the three of you here, take one specific one and break it down for us. Um, the one that I have in my mind is it's at the end, uh, it's either at the end of season one, or the beginning of season two, when she's, when she's first, um, underground, when we're introducing the, uh, the telephone switchboard. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. That shot. Yes. It's the very beginning yeah. of season two. I think it's the very it's the beginning of season shot. two. It is yeah. a super long push shot. It's what it, what the shot is, is the camera pushes past a whole row of telephone operators that are using two rows. You know, it's on both sides. On both sides, <laughs> and they're using the old switchboards. You know, using you know quarter inch uh, patch panels, patching people around, and is one person after the other saying the you know answering a call and routing it, answering and routing it, answering and routing it. And you know, one continuous shot, and you hear everybody perfectly all the way up and down the line, and, and then we finally land on Midge at the very end. A highly choreographed shot. Um, just I, I watched it and my jaw hit the floor because I knew how crazy it had to have been like at every step of the process. Um, can you can you can you can the three of you at least talk about the planning, the execution, how how it got all the way to the mix? I can tell you how we did it on location, but I'd love to hear what these guys did with the production tracks to see how they uh, made it all work. I was I mean, there's a lot of it was for me, it was a mix of radio mics and one boom. So I can talk about that part, and then we can lead into their version of it. Um, our Steadicam operator, Jim McConkey of the um, Jim and Larry McConkey, the brothers. Larry invented the Skycam. Jim is look him up on IMDb. It's extraordinary. I mean Tarantino. I mean every top movie. He's uh, he's an artist. And no shot happens really without Jimmy and Amy working it out because he's kind of the co-creator of the visual movement of the show. But his brother built a special rig that was kind of an L shape so that they can get between the receptionist and the actual switchboard. Now, the, the shot actually starts upstairs where a woman comes in and drops a postcard or an envelope down a mail slot. Um, and then they CGI the letter going down, it lands in a mail cart. Then that gets pushed around, which we then follow all the way down and around. And then we start the move into the, um, the receptionist. And it, they went down one aisle. She spun around. They came around the back way and then slid down. She pushes off in her chair. And then it came back around the other way. It's like a huge S. So did you radio mic everybody in that shot? That no, spoke? no, because most of the women only had like one line each. And the camera was right in front of their face. So I, I wired Midge, of course, and I might have wired a couple of the other women because after this whole part, she addresses the whole reception area. But I think we got most of that on the boom because the boom followed the camera down the front. So they were all saying the same thing. Hello, B. Altman, how may I direct your call? And um, the boom is in front of each one as the camera was right in their face. And then Midge was wired because it gives us flexibility to boom around her. Actually... It was complicated for the boom, but the mix was not very complicated when it came down to it. And as the camera passed, was each girl just kind of pushing back in her chair and getting out of the way? Very subtly, but the camera was so skinnied up, they didn't have to move back much. But it was definitely a timing thing. I don't think we clocked anybody in the face, though. <laughs> but at uh, one point, there was a take when Midge pushed her chair back too hard and she flipped over onto the ground. It wasn't done in one take? No, it's done in one <laughs> shot. One shot definitely does not mean one take. 
One shot, 60 takes. Well, about 12, if I remember right. 12? Awesome. And was the rig making any noise? Was it no. Was it okay? No, totally silent. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. But I don't know. How did the tracks come in? I just remember having to take out all the bells that I guess every time. The bells. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. And there were thumps, too, The the as they put the phone switch thing back. Patch cord. Yeah, there's a weight on it, and it would thump down. So, so I would have. Yeah, to... we didn't know that till we got into the location. <laughs> then they started doing the patch bay thing, and I'm like, yeah. "What the heck is that?" <laughs> but as yeah. as Sarah said, there were these metal weights on every rope, you know, that goes around. So when you pull up, so it pulls it back down, so it doesn't stay stuck. It kind of retracts with metal weights. And of course, there were all these metal things were clanging against mm-hmm. each other and the thumping and all that. Yeah. And the only way to fix it, we opened up the back of one of them, we would have had to tape or put some kind of moleskin or something on every right. single cable because we didn't know which ones they were going to use. Right. And that was, we're talking hundreds, though. That did not happen. Right. Just leave everything to me. If you want your roof inspected, eyebrows tweezed or bills collected, just leave everything to me. If you want your daughter dated or some marriage consummated, if you want a husband spotted, boyfriend traced or chicken potted, I'll arrange for me. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. I will connect you. Be all the women direct to call. Ah, too many calls. So just in the flow of things, Matt does his thing, picture department does its cut, I go in for a spotting session, and in that scene in particular, we get through it, we stop at the end of it, Amy turns to me and goes, yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> and we go on from there. <laughs> that sounds like Amy. So then we had to figure out what to do after that fact. And like Sarah said, um, you had to clean up these bells that were ringing in the track, a little binging every now and then, all the metal clunking sounds. Um, as I recall, um, Sarah went back to a lot of the lavs to sweeten and, and work with whatever we could, could get from Midge or anybody else that was recorded. And... It wasn't enough. There weren't enough voices in that room. There weren't enough of anything. So we did a looping session for that as well. And the way the flow works with Amy and Dan, um, I get a few days to, you know, pre-mix it and kind of have it ready as if it was finished, my my pass of it. And then Amy comes in uh, with Dan, and they both give me notes based on what they've heard. And uh, Lynn, leave me alone for like a day to do their notes and they come back and finally approve it. But after that scene in particular, Amy decided that what she really wanted to hear were the women in more of a, um, a high pitched bird like kind of chatter. So we had to go back into looping and get another whole pass done of, of the girls doing that. And we only really needed to establish that in the very beginning. And then we could go back to what we'd originally recorded, but you know, it was a very specific type of sound Amy was after in the very beginning. When you say looping, so. you mean loop group to get back to fill in the backgrounds? Grouping, yeah. We, we, needed, we needed many more women than what was recorded by, by you, and we needed more specific voices pumping through now and then. So I, I had more control of that. I forget how many. I probably had 
at least six other layers of six other women the whole time doing the same thing. And then, like I say, we had to go back and record another whole layer of this kind of chirping sound uh, that Amy wanted. So Yeah, it's a pretty full track when you hear it, on, when you watch it on the show. Yeah, I, I mean, I was scared when we finished watching that first pass on it that Amy was going to want to have sound effects for the... <laughs> you know, you know, beyond the actual physical plugging and unplugging sounds and and the switches, I was like, you're not going to want buzzes and bells and yeah. And she was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, as you as you heard that scene, it, it's wall to wall music too, loud. That's Wall to wall right. music with yeah. vocal. Barbara Streisand, if I remember right, was it? Yeah. So you know, I've got a voice singing, I've got dialogue happening, and you know, yeah. So. Yeah, that's what was so impressive in the in the final result. As I watched this giant choreographed shot, a lot of the other choreographed shots, it's a lot of, you know, stage direction and actors moving and hitting their marks and all of this. But this one also included so many different people speaking. That's what really blew me away about that. That just that just really stuck with me with regards to the way that whole final execution came off. It was it was impressive. Think about the scene at the, uh, I think it was episode 206, uh, the Catskills, uh, the, the um, initial dance. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. When Major's dance, I, I, we had to bring in a second mixer. I didn't have enough radio mics because yeah. she starts going through the crowd. They have all the side conversations and she starts going through the crowd and dancing with all these guys. And they all have conversations with the music playing and the bands in the background. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> It seems like every episode there's some scene like that, which makes this show uniquely uh, perfect for this conversation we're having now, because as you mentioned, it's very dialogue heavy. So the dialogue is driving every episode in a way that is quite unique to that specific series. And I was wondering, what kind of schedule are you each running on? What is your turnaround time? So maybe let's go from start to finish. Matt, how many days do you have per episode? We've pretty much been doing 10 days an episode. Uh, this first episode for season three will be 11 days, but generally 10 or 11. They, they pick up some stuff here and there later on, but for the most part, we don't do extra shooting. Uh, they've been out of town. We are going to Florida for two weeks. Um, I know they went to Paris last year. So it's the show just, and it's getting bigger. I read an interview with Amy and she's like, well, Midge is getting successful. Now we have to open outward. It's going to be big. And I'm like, Great. <laughs> and the first episode, which I cannot tell you anything that's going to happen in it, it's 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 huge. It's, it's I, I can't even begin to battle. And we start the the meat of it tomorrow, so that's going to be challenging again. I refuse to read them ahead of time. Like they send me the scripts and I don't open them. I I, I constantly want to be surprised. Um, oh, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> oh, I know. Let's just say you're not going to have a loop group big enough. And we'll leave it at yeah. that. So, Sarah, what's your turnaround time? I get seven days to edit. Yeah. So that means quick keys. I use quick keys a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of dialogue to cut in seven days. Yeah. Well, and usually within that time period, we're getting at least, you know, two revisions throughout that seven days as well. And the, con- the, the confirmations aren't that big, but... It's still one of those things you have to stop and actually do. So ADR, ADR is on, you know, pretty much with the same kind of schedule. You know, with ADR, you're trying to catch actors when you can. So sometimes that is showing up in the mix at the very last second. Sometimes it shows up the day I'm showing it to Amy. You know, so there's catch up that's always going on on the ADR level. And then I have 
a day and a half, two days at the most to get the dialogue mixed. And then I have a day of music to put in. And uh, usually at that point, I'm also throwing in whatever ADR has just been dribbling in. And then uh, Amy and Dan do their review. I have about a day to fix their notes. They're usually a lot of them. Um, and, and little silly stuff, like any ADR line I mix in, she has to have me look at one more time, no matter what, because it's new to her. And she's like, is that the best? Can you do something? And nine times out of 10, I'll do something, you know, different, <laughs> better, I, you know, is another thing. And then, uh, then they come back and work with me uh, over the course of three to four hours to just lock the mix in place. That's been the flow. So, Sarah, how many tracks are you typically delivering to Ron in I your dialogue have, session? Well, three sets of the main dialogue, and then I'll have the, you know, I make some tracks for the performance mic, and then I'll have split out PFX. And so you're not cutting ADR at all? That's on someone else's plate Yeah, entirely. that's Ruth Hernandez. Yeah. And same with Loop Group? Yeah. Yeah, what Sarah will do is prepare the ADR. I'll usually have a way to get around if a line comes in. Um, and I'll have the flexibility that if it's only one word Amy's trying to fix, I'll, I'll be able to get in there and make it just for that one one word. A a Amy's not a big fan of wanting to loop, you know, the main characters especially. She's never happy with what we end up getting. So another job that Sarah does do is if something's been flagged for looping, I always end up with an alternate that she's dug out from somewhere. And... Um, you know, 50% of the time we go with the alternate. If it's, you know, if, if it's production and Amy knows it's production, she'd rather go with production. Mm -hmm. So so are you flagging for ADR at spotting or as you're doing your dialogue at it? Uh, well, you guys have a, you do that in the spotting session first? Or? Yeah. Yeah. When we walk into a spotting session, I get handed a list of stuff that the picture department's already kind of decided should get look, look, looked at and spotted for. And then between Sarah and, and my uh, ADR editor, Ruth, they go through, well, you guys have a dialogue, Sarah, you and Ruth, a lot of times. Right, I'll, between... I'll see what, so Ruth flags anything that, like technical issues, like if there is noise, unwanted noise or something. And then she'll make a list of that and I'll try and fix it. And then we'll go back and forth. Like she'll have a listen to what I did and see if she thinks it's been... <laughs> fixed do you edit on headphones sir yes yeah mm -hmm. man that's all the dialogue editors are always on cans that's just <laughs> that's that's a new thing to me and how does it, that helps because it really helps you to isolate what you're hearing yeah i take out all the little ticks and I <laughs> yep she does <laughs> yeah, get the yeah. microscope out so what, what should i be doing different sarah to make your life easier <laughs> oh boy here we I, go <laughs> I think it's it's really amazing what you do, you know. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, you have fans, Matt. All of us are just big fans of what you've done for <laughs> well, us. Well, thank you. That's nice, but I'll just I'll try to maintain. <laughs> the thing that we heard a lot when we did the dialogue editing roundtable with the other editors was that they they were dismayed with the fact that the production sound folks are having to capture so many radio mics. And that, and so many of them are are the editors are not using the mix tracks anymore, right? They're just going through all the ISOs and 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 chopping them up and and getting all the bumps and clicks out and dealing with the S's and doing all of that. Um, but they, uh, to a person, I think they were 
they were dismayed with the fact that they, they get so many tracks in these days compared to how it used to be. Um, yeah, well, especially the way Amy shoots, we use a lot of radio mics. I mean, as I said, there was a few scenes, scenes last season that I had to bring in a separate mixer. We had something like 14 tracks of just of dialogue, let alone playback tracks and everything else. I mean, when you're shooting everything in every direction, they want to be ready to do these intensely choreographed scenes. That's pretty much the only way. But we have, we always have a boom out there. And I come from a film background, so I like a real open sound. I don't tend to like the sound of radio mics. Right. Uh, that being said, it's a question I have for you guys, too. I work really hard at trying to get a good mix. I don't always get it right and, and on the fly. But my sense is that you guys are mostly not using the mix anyway, because A, maybe in a one because you're not like you have cutaways and you have to change perspective and backgrounds shift and all that. Sure. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that that's what I'm hearing too. Most of the time they don't hardly ever use the mix. It's all about ISO tracks. Well, uh, it, it's the ISO tracks right. with the boom. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a new mix, but you've provided us with the material to do that. Um, for Maisel especially, that, that's a very important thing because I need the ISO tracks to make sure I get the clarity. I just do. Um, I need to be able to find those S's, the T's, and everything else that's in there that I might get lost in that boom. But I need the boom to give me life. Right. Um, but, you know, look, I, I have to extensively, I mean, every single scene that's an interior has a little verb being added to it in one way, shape, or form. Right. So I have to make it all match. I have to make it all, you know, somehow flow. And, do a great um, job, man. I'm telling you, I you watched know. the show. I don't know, like, was that a boom? Was that a love? I mean, I, I really, it's like <laughs> extraordinary. It sounds so good. The other thing that is remarkably good sounding is the PA in those clubs. A little backstory on, on me with this show. I, I knew that this was a show, but I hadn't watched it. And I came into it like knowing absolutely nothing. Tim was like, hey, we got this interview with everyone from, and I was, and I was like, okay, cool. Let me start watching it. And so as, 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 as I'm just kind of letting the show kind of wash over me here, the, the PA in those, in those clubs, it, it almost felt reamped. It, it, it sounds so good. I don't know what tool you're using, but it sounds killer. Altiverb. Is it Altiverb? <laughs> nice. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it just, especially in season two, like I'm loving what's happening with the PA. <laughs> so... Ron, in our conversations before we started rolling, you mentioned that this is the first television series that you've been working on. Mm -hmm. Obviously implying everything before that was uh, feature films. Have you changed your approach in any way or do you just go straight ahead with your usual approach? I had to in the beginning. I had to wrap my head around that I didn't have a full day to focus on just 20 minutes. I had <laughs> I had a full day to try to get, you know, at least 45 minutes done a lot of times. And, um, you know, it, it, it was more along the lines of how to, how to, how to view my approach in more of a streamlined way. Um, but at the same time, not, you know, certainly drop any of the quality that I need to do. So the pilot took a little longer. <laughs> the pilot <laughs> took a little longer on my part. You know, I was worried um, how I'd be able to pull it off. And by the time we got to the first episode, with Matt's tracks, Sarah and I had a conversation of how to kind of present it and how to how to split it out and get it ready for me. And, you know, we've done that. We have a template now. So, you know, Sarah gives me a template back. I plug it into my template and, you know, I know already, okay, these are the mics on the stage. These are my booms. And, and it allows me immediately to get working. I don't have to kind of discover stuff. And that, that's been a big change. 
you know, I also don't want to have a ton of alternates, and Sarah never does that for me. She gives me one that's usually the right one. If I need more, I'll ask, but, you know, we've got a machine working now. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, the difference is, you know, with features, you discover things as you're working. Like, you get to the end of Real 5, and you start to do something that, oh, you know, that will sound really much better in, 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 the, in the earlier reels. Let me go back and redo all that. With the series... I, I get the same opportunity, but it, it, it comes kind of almost immediate because I have to get through the episode so fast, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Had you worked with Sarah prior to this show? Oh, yeah. Go way back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sarah started off as an assistant with me and uh, is now I'm never going to let anyone ever use her for anything <laughs> else. <ever again. laughs> This is a great mutual admiration society we got going here. <laughs> so, Matt, outside of the uh, outside of the, the the prop mic, do you ever use any just other plant mics or any kind of non boom radio mic setups uh, in, in some of those scenes? Not for the stand up. I mean, there's really no place to hide a mic. Uh, I have done some stuff where I put a stereo mic up for the audience. Uh, we did some a club scene last year when she was in the jazz club down and we shot in the, the uh, great village Vanguard. And I put a stereo mic up for that, for the audience. Um, but it takes a, lot, a certain amount of time to rig it. We don't always have time to use it. Um, the stereo, by the way, Ron, the stereo uh, recording on location help you? I mean, I'm sure it doesn't hurt, but does it matter if we give you just a mono thing or, uh, and you can spatialize it? If it's, if it's um, going to be used specifically for like the background, I'll definitely use it and we'll use it as a stereo image. Good to know. So yeah, right. that will definitely take okay. advantage I'll, of it. We'll try to uh, amp, uh, amp that up this season too. Um, but planting, yeah, we plant when we, when we can. The problem, you know, I know a lot of sound location mixers, they do a lot of plant mics and they work a lot of the time, but it really depends. I mean, the only time a plant mic really works is if an actor hits a mark and that's where they're going to say their line. That's what for, we heard before. <laughs> for, for, for most shows that move like this, I mean, they have, the, they have their spots. I mean, it's, it's, the show's very specific in choreography and the words, I mean, every period, every comma, every pause is scripted out. Uh, we have two script supervisors at the same time. That's how complex it is. One watches just the dialogue. The other watches the continuity. And that's... Uh, at the same. So that's how critically, how critical it is for that. So we can hide a mic on set, you know, if somebody hits a mark and the radio mics don't work, but if I can get the radio mics clean, I prefer them because they give me a lot more flexibility. I have much more punch if I want to blend it with a boom than having a plant mic, which may wash it out a little bit because it's not as present, especially when you have a boom up also, mm -hmm. but that's, it's totally um, case dependent. And does wardrobe help you with uh, with the radio mics? Uh, Rachel likes to be wired because she's all corseted up. So we tend to send a transmitter and a mic down to her. They'll send me photographs of what she's wearing. Uh, and I'll try to think about where I might want to put a mic on her. And so I'll choose one of the, the lobs that I tend to use and send that down to wardrobe. And they rough it in. And then when she comes to set, we will um, place it where we think it will sound best. The clothes are not always... Uh, a lot of friendly though um like many costume designers the brilliant donna sikowski and she really is an artist um you know they kind of feel like people watch tv to look at the clothing more than anything else and so that doesn't always work out for our behalf <laughs> but um but yeah the wardrobe people on set are very friendly and they're very helpful uh 
it depends on the material. Some of that, it's all original material for for our leads, and you never know what you're going to get. Right. So, Ron, what's the biggest challenge once uh, once it's time to mix? Um, time. Yeah. <laughs> it's always about time. Just the quantity um, of stuff you're trying to get up to that level. Quantity of material, and you know, it's usually um, I don't always get the group right off the bat, and that usually becomes some boondoggle at one point or another uh, <laughs> where I know it's not working. The scene isn't working for me yet because it won't work for Amy yet without that group in. And I, you know, showing it to her tomorrow. And, you know, how do you get that to go? Probably clothing, Russell, probably that that close up scratchy crap that, you know, we sometimes have to deal with um, is 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 usually my biggest you know, worry. And I'll hear that when I listen to their tracks when I'm spotting and then just kind of pray between whatever Sarah can do and whatever little looping may be having to get picked up for the worst stuff um, that, we, that we can make work because there's nothing I can do. And I've been in a situation like that a few times with Amy where it's like, you know, what is that? I'm like, well, that look, she's moving her head <laughs> and, and her neck moves on the fabric and yeah that that is right on that line and you know you didn't want to loop it so what are we going to do uh and there's always something you can do there's always an extreme you can do you know i i know both sarah and i try not to ever do the extreme going into the mix but coming out of the mix i you know sometimes i don't want you to know what i did <laughs> you know? So Sarah, when you're doing the edit, like, do you do you go into RX for for any of the uh, any of the cloth noise? Do you do you kind of preset that, or do you wait for context? No, I do. Like almost everything goes through RX. No, I mean okay. that's not true. But I kind of wish Pro Tools was just spectrograms. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, I try and get stuff out, and I use the D Russell work sometimes for some of that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not. Are you mostly just going in by hand and kind of drawing stuff out? Yeah, I do that a lot. She goes to other takes, too, and finds, like, the consonant that has that big clunk on it or that big scratch on it and finds a take that we can maybe try to sandwich in and make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, she did a lot of that. It's great. <laughs> Are you doing any general denoising, Sarah, or do you leave that all to Ron? I will do some dialogue isolation, also in RX. And mm-hmm. that works really well. And I can go in and just do bands. And it's so easy to see where it is. Mm-hmm. If there's a heavy hum, she'll take care of a lot of that for me before I even get it. And it helps me. No, it helps me with the edit, too. It's not just for you, Ron. <laughs> but um, yeah, because then it just it's easier to get different angles to work together. No, it's been kind of amazing, actually, because, you know, we get Matt's tracks and sometimes I'll hear them again in the in the, in the picture cutting room and I'll get very nervous I'll start cringing cuz <laughs> I can't hear half the words and why can't I and you know it's that old masking principle you know you you get rid of that ugly rumbly garbage that's in that track just with either EQ or whatever you know Sarah does for me and all of a sudden no oh, the words are there they pop right out and you know Matt's been great at getting the level i mean it's it's never an issue of volume from the talent it's usually something uh, intruding onto the track that's a different frequency that you don't need but you just get rid of it and all of a sudden the voice pops and it, it, we've been lucky on that front especially with the women um, a lot of the problems that we might have normally on a, on, a, on a track are those 
you know, mid, low, rumbly sounds and you just get rid of them. And, you know, I still have the chest in the women's voices and their voices are high enough that, you know, there never seems to be a problem. Sarah, do you mess with any of the S's or do you leave all that for Ron? If they're really whistly and I, it's so easy just to see them in spectral pair and just attenuate them a little bit. Um, but when we had the dialogue at a round table, I think three of the four folks would go in and manually volume, I guess, clip game back S's on their dialogue edit before it hit the mix stage, um, which was surprising to me, but that's definitely something that other folks were doing. Yeah, I, I used to do that, but now I do it more in RX where it's so you can see exactly where the little whistle is. and then. Yeah, the whistle is the thing that RX is the only way to do it. There's no other way. Totally, totally. I mean, I run a de-esser through my chain, um, but it's set very mild because um, I don't really like to hear that that often. Yeah. And um, a lot of times it's even in bypass these days. When I need to activate it, I just activate it for what I need it for. Has Sarah ever gone too far with her uh, isotoping? None yet. No. <laughs> well, well, I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> she's, she's, no, she, she'll, she'll give me two versions and present the one to me that she thinks might be the one that'll work. And it, it isn't always the one that'll work. I, I, I hear the processing too much. Mm -hmm. And if I hear it, I'm sure Amy will hear it. And uh, so then I go to the one that she says, you know, use if the first one doesn't work. And it, that's usually the one that works fine. And she's gone maybe halfway or something. And I'll, he and I'll hear that noise too, you know, and a lot of times we, we do it and we find it and they do something and we hope, hopefully it gets better take by take. So by the time that they like a take that they want to use, <laughs> by that time we will have resolved at least most of any kind of clothing noise. The worst is when we're booming it and it sounds like it's on a lav because the material is so loud on the boom. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really frustrating. But that's when I know this. Absolutely nothing I could do about it. Yeah. If the boom's picking it up, then, you know, that's it. So outside of clothing, what other noises are intruding on your set? New York City, man. <laughs> I mean, New York City 2019. Actually, that's a good question. Do you run into period sounds that you, that you really have to avoid? We do a lot of interiors, you know. Uh, we do some exteriors, um, not that many in places that are particularly modern, although we did... Uh, we do some street scenes where it's like always across the street from construction. I don't know how they find it. I think they look for the construction schedule. Oh, they, they do. They they, they look for the worst places and set you up. When Susie goes to, um, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Sophie Lennon's place mm -hmm. at the end of season two, there was a building going up across the street that, and they wouldn't work with us. I mean, we try to get them to like, can you start and stop when we roll and cut and all that. But when they work for the city, it's, they don't care. You can't pay them. You can't give them 50 bucks to stop, you know. <laughs> so we hopefully, if it's really bad, sometimes we'll pause, we'll wait. We, we wait a lot for planes. We'll go again. You know, we, we do our best to control our environment as much as we can, but it's New York City. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah, thank you very much for sitting down with us. This has been really insightful, and I really like the idea of just kind of talking about each section and how it's getting around and the way that this show turns out, obviously you guys just won a cast award for mixing. It's really showing the hard work you're doing because as Renee said in his story earlier, I was like, you got to see this show. It's amazing. This is the show that we got to make work for this idea that we have of getting the whole process, everyone together, because it's, 
it's something special, this show. So congratulations, everybody. Thanks. So, Renee, yeah. are you watching it? What do you think? I love it. <laughs> he hates I it. I love he it. it. <laughs> no, I really do. This is one of those. It's funny, too, because, uh, you know, every so often we'll, we'll be interviewing folks and I'll be like, hey, I got to watch this film because we're going to be interviewing the mixer or whoever later. And so, you know, my, my wife was like, well, you know, I'm going to go make dinner or whatever. Man, she's so locked in right now. She's like, I like Joel now. What's happening? You know? <laughs> I like Joel. She's, she's just deep into it. So it's, it's, uh, it's been great for us. I, I, I love the show. I just love it. Oh, great. I came to it the opposite way. My wife got me into it. And I was like, you got to stop watching it so I can catch up to you, okay? Because uh, we're watching this together from now yeah. on. And it, it's just a really fun show. It's, it's a great show to watch with, with the significant other. It really is. It's because there's so many, uh, there's, there's relationships going on there. And there's, there's kind of things that evolve. And, and it's fun to watch the dialogue. You know, the other thing that happens is weird that happens with me and my wife. After we watch the show, we start talking like the people in the freaking show talk. So our, <laughs> our, our pace and our cadence kind of goes up like that for a solid six hours afterwards. It's funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> It's also great when you're watching a show that's genuinely funny to watch with someone else, and it kind of gives you the experience of being in that club. If you're watching it alone, that it it actually it's a communal show in a it weird really way is. that you want to watch with people. Yeah, I think the show should be and every season should be brought off uh, presented in uh, theater. I agree. All, all, every awesome. episode, I think I think the show actually holds up. You know. It, it's it feels like there's just so no compromise you know with a lot of tv shows even super high-end tv shows you can find places where schedules force compromises and in this show i can't find those places amy amy the the word compromise is not uh it's not in anyone's language on this show yeah <laughs> it just is and it shows it shows yeah. i mean it, it comes across so clear that everyone is doing everything at a full theatrical release level for every single episode um it's just spectacular to watch thank you thank you <laughs> bye thank you thanks sarah dumb beggars is produced by timothy muirhead renee coronado and Teresa morrow Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 